0: Texas talking off. Oh, what was that, that you said? Texas
1: talking out. up upside your head, Texas talking. Tell me who can you trust? When Texas oh, got small, when Texas has oh,
2: Texas talking. Hi, this is State Representative Joe
1: Desertel. Here's the Tribune's Road from Reader event to introduce this week's trip cast. Evan, I beg you, I know I canceled at the last minute for this upcoming Trib Festival. Please don't cast me to the Heatherland. I would love to be on it in the future. I beg you. Now, here's your host, Emily Ramshaw.
3: Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the Tribcast for the, oh, geez, what week is this? The third week of September? Just get over
0: road. it. Nobody cares. I'm
3: joined by CEO and editor-in-chief, Nobody Cares, Evan Smith. Hi. Oh, you're already checking your email. It's going to be a good good troop cast.
0: In a record time, you've you've bored me already.
3: Also, you're sitting in the wrong chair today, but I'll let that go. Uh, Reporter Patrick Svitek. Hello. And reporter Edgar Walters. Hey there. We're missing Ross Ramsey today. He's mourning Yogi Berra's death somewhere. He's
0: dancing on Yogi Berra's grave, is what he's doing. Right. He could care less.
3: Uh, So let's kick off uh, with the latest rundown in presidential politics. Patrick, uh, we have Scott Walker bowing out of the race, the surest sign yet that this idea that super PACs can keep you in this race forever is uh, kind of bunk. Um, What does his dropout mean for Texas uh, and particularly his financial supporters and fundraisers and staffers?
1: Well, at least publicly, he was trying to make it look like he was making a serious play for Texas. His campaign had indicated that they wanted to come in first here and that they weren't at all uh, to borrow a term that they like to use, intimidated by all the candidates with native Texas ties and deeper ties in to fact, the state In fact, at one point he
0: led in polls here, right?
1: Exactly, yeah. When he had that big uh, breakout performance in Iowa, I think in January or February, Earlier this year, uh, that was reflected in the polling that the, the Trib did. And he was the, the front runner here um, in, in that particular poll. He visited Texas, um, I think, a few weeks ago, maybe. And um, it was a pretty extensive trip. I think the way we labeled it was, was some of the most extensive outreach by a candidate yet to Texas in terms of number of public events, number of fundraisers, all packed within three days. And so he was trying to be a factor here. Um, but as we learned this morning in, in this Politico piece, uh, that Texas trip actually, according to his campaign manager, was was one of the the points over the past uh, few months when they really realized the full extent of their... It was like a bucks yeah. right? <laughs> <didn't> their, their, <laughs> their, their money <laughs> problems, yeah. So I think, yeah. Totally under Campaign manager said they wanted to raise half a million dollars while they were in Texas for that trip, and I think he said they raised about 180. Um, so they fell far short of that goal. Um, but yeah, he was trying to make a play here, at least publicly.
0: And you know, the thing about Walker all along, all of us who think we know so much, proven every day that we don't, We all thought, well, Walker's the kind of guy who can straddle Mm -hmm. the two sides of the Republican Party these days. He has appeal to the Tea Party guys. They love the fact that he busted the unions. Mm -hmm. Walker's personal story appeals to to, to Tea Party guys, his record in Wisconsin, all that. But at the same time, he's kind of an establishment Mm -hmm. enough guy, governor who won election twice and survived a recall in a blue state. Not like Wisconsin's going to carry you over the line from an electoral map standpoint, but it's a mm-hmm. positive, right? Yeah. Thought was he appeals to, to both sides of the party, and boy, he just belly flopped. He face planted. And in some ways, uh, who would have imagined that Perry's early exit would be eclipsed Right from an an embarrassment and a God this didn't work out standpoint by Walker's Walker makes Perry look like Henry Clay in all this. Mm -hmm. Well it also
3: seems like Walker's own staff at least maybe in Texas was surprised by this outcome you know they thought that they were getting some kind of message from Walker that there was going to be some shake up at the top and instead they got the news that the campaign was you know shutting down Mm -hmm. or suspending sorry which is the word that everyone likes to use. And then
0: the best part of it is that Walker goes out and he says not only am I leaving but most of you Others who have no chance in hell and you, you may be the only one who doesn't know it or won't admit it. You all ought to get out, too, because with so many of us in this race, we're allowing Trump to, to suck the air out of the room. Now, that assumes we still think that Trump is is literally the the front runner, which I guess he is in the polls, although there's some sign that that's changing. But what do you think, Patrick, about that point, that the idea that Walker thinks that there has to be some mass exodus from this race?
1: I thought it was a little uh, – I don't know out of character for him I mean he ran a very, you know when it came to Trump you know he ran a pretty tried to be at least careful I mean he wasn't one of those candidates like Perry or I guess Jindal now who was out there attacking Trump nonstop, completely unabashed about his his criticism of Trump. And so to see him take that kind of pot shot on the way out, I guess, was um, a little out of whack, I think, with his his own candidacy in the campaign that he ran. But I think the message was clear. I mean, people definitely took that away from that news conference.
3: Speaking of Trump, I was uh, highly entertained to see that uh, Evan tweeted out his response from Donald <laughs> Trump. who Evan asked Donald Trump if he wanted to come mm-hmm. to the TribFest, and I guess the response was, thank you, Evan, for your support of the Donald Trump campaign. Dear,
0: dear occupants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: right. (laughs)
0: Now, you know, I think the chances of us getting... It was worth a shot. We we will make the Tribfest great... Again, (laughs) regardless, let me tell you. I was interested, actually, I was uh, uh, at the gym today watching uh, kind of with one eye. Humble brag. Humble, no humble (laughs) brag. You know. Watching with one eye. This this dad bod doesn't create itself. I mean, come on. Um, uh, 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 Watching with one eye uh, the the Bill Maher program from Friday night on which Mark Cuban was a guest. And I was amazed to hear Mark Cuban, who I thought was going to be Trump's vice president. I thought this was already resolved. Mm Uh, say Donald Trump has no chance to be president. I just wonder if that conventional wisdom is now beginning to
3: Tom Brady disagrees to
0: take well <laughs> Make America deflate again, right? There you go. <laughs> right. I Good look I, I, I think there's a I think there's an interesting uh, a Shift happening. I've talked to a couple you know the only place I do my reporting Patrick As you know is on the block between the Austin Club mm-hmm. and the Starbucks at 10th yeah. Congress and so twice in the last week on that very block I've had Republicans, reliable Republicans, loyal Republicans, people who would sooner eat their own vomit than vote for Hillary Clinton, Ugh. say... A lot, hey, a lot of imagery this morning. Maybe the first time that line has been Wait, it's <laughs> only like five minutes in. We've got we <laughs> more time to go. Say, you know, I think what's happening is that our party is blowing up and that the Dem- we're basically electing the Democrats as we stand here and that the outcome of this is going to be terrible for us and we just ought to be happy that we're going to keep Congress. You know, I don't I don't know how you get to that conclusion given all the trouble on the Democratic side but it's definitely the case that we don't know what the hell's happening on the Republican side and it's just not it's, it's just not clear and I think six months ago we all thought that this was a much more sort of a to B linear race and Goodness, well, well, I couldn't tell you for a second what's going to happen.
3: I mean, what do these two dropouts in particular mean for Cruz? You know, I mean, he was on Fox News after the Scott Walker dropout saying, I think, quote, holy cow, I can't believe it. And then within like 45 <laughs> minutes, he'd picked up like seven of yeah. Walker's biggest you know, donors. Uh-huh. So uh, does this create even more space for him? I mean, is, is Ted Cruz cheering each one of these departures?
1: I think so. Yeah, I think Perry dropping out was good for for Ted Cruz, and Walker dropping out in some ways was even better for Ted Cruz. Perry, I think, was dropping out was good for some of the, freeing up some of the home state donors who were already behind Perry or were on the sidelines out of respect for Perry, um, and then Walker, uh, at least based on the hires that Cruz's campaign announced, has been a bit of a boon for uh, Cruz on kind of the grassroots side. Um, if you look at the the hires that. Um, Cruz's campaign has made in just a few hours, several hours since Walker dropped out. All people in the South, places like Georgia. I think he scooped up all three of Walker's uh, state chairs in in Georgia. Um, Because if you recall, kind of at the end, as things are falling apart, you know, Walker did make an effort to kind of make inroads in these SEC primary states, which is also where Cruz is, is trying to, again, at least publicly make a very competitive play. And so I think both these dropouts have helped Cruz uh, tremendously. Um, you know, his, his his overall poll number has been pretty durable. You know, it's kind of like six, seven, eight. Um, you know, he's been in fourth, fifth, sixth in, in some national polling. But if I'm Cruz right now, I don't want to be anywhere anywhere near the top. Um You
3: You want to wait this out as
0: long as possible. Exactly. And and the more plausible –
1: big air quotes around the word plausible – the
0: more plausible candidates who drop out – and whatever else you can say about Walker and even Perry, they're plausible as president. Mm -hmm. The more those who drop out, then there are fewer people for Cruz to have to navigate around on the assumption, which I'm sure he's making, that a bunch of the implausible candidates eventually drop out
2: Mm – Trump,
0: Carson, Fiorina – And ultimately, Cruz is left standing, and he's the logical inheritor of a lot of that outsider support. Mm -hmm. You know, another scenario that people are beginning to speculate about is that it eventually gets down to two. It almost always does. One traditional Tea Party grassroots conservative and then one, quote, establishment candidate. And, you know, you could kind of hop scotch through the next couple of months. And get to a place where it ends up being Rubio and Cruz. Wouldn't that
1: be interesting? Yeah, there's Eric Erickson wrote about that the other yeah. day. wouldn't that be yeah. interesting if it were yeah. Rubio and Cruz? I think Cruz would prefer uh, Cruz and Bush. I think that's what he's he's been longing for or all along. For. I mean, do all
3: you know, do do these sort these guys? Do the Rubios? Do the Cruzes? Do the Bushes have you know enough money in the bank to just hang on and on and on?
1: I mean, think I, so. I think. I mean, Cruz's strength has been in, in fundraising by by all by all modern God measures. Knows, I'd say, but, but all,
0: maybe all Bush has at the moment is money, right? Right. Yeah. And he has plenty of. You know,
1: Cruz's campaign announced that in the the first forty eight hours after the debate, they raised more than a million dollars. That's twice as fast as they raised a million dollars after the the first debate. Um, and you know, on, on Fox News on Tuesday <laughs> night, you know, Cruz was asked, you know, well, how does that compare to your competitors? And he said, well, none of them have come out and bragged about it, so I can only assume it hasn't been good.
3: Right. Well, unless we. First forget about Jeb Bush. He was actually in Texas this week uh, in Houston, speaking to a group of Hispanic business leaders, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was speaking at the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce's National Convention in Houston. Um, and this was actually a lot like his appearance earlier this summer uh, in Houston, speaking to a, a Hispanic evangelical group. And um, it was a speech that was oriented around education being kind of the force for pulling people out of poverty and disadvantaged situations. But it, just like the speech earlier this summer, it quickly became consumed by immigration and what he had to say about his views on, uh, you know, combating illegal immigration and then, you know, dealing with the 11 million people in the country here already illegally. What was different this time was he there were protesters. He had barely started speaking and he was being heckled. Um, this was I don't know. Exactly all the groups that were present for this protest, but they were chanting things like, uh, no hope without our vote. They had these huge signs and they were parading to the stage with them that said, you know, who is the real Jeb Bush? Um, it was quite hectic for a little while. I mean, he, he definitely gets heckled and protested by immigration uh, activists at a lot of his events, but this seemed a little more intense. And the fact that it started almost right away, I think, was, was notable. Um, so
3: yeah, I, I mean it's interesting given the fact that he is actually one of the candidates who caters to them <laughs> more yep. than others. You know, exactly. I mean, he, the the rhetoric for him has been much more sort of inclusive. Yet he's still getting heckled in events like this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the conversations throughout this this race is immigration activists and protesters who they choose to target, which Republican candidates they choose to target, and they've gone after some of them that have been viewed as having more of a uh, immigration policy in line with their own views. Was so George P. at that rally? No. <laughs> Not.
0: <laughs> he was uh, too, too busy toilet papering Brian Rosenthal's front yard
3: and Jerry Patterson's front yard goodness alright uh, well Edgar let's switch gears I wasn't going to
0: allow the entire 30 minutes to elapse without mentioning Brian Rosenthal you understand that right?
3: it's alright I'm moving on to talk about Medicaid uh, uh, which I'm sure we'll all enjoy um Edgar, give us the lowdown. First of all, I've never seen Medicaid be this big or Medicaid cuts be this big of a flashpoint when you're not in the middle of the legislative session. There's been like an all-out war going on over these, you know, cuts for um, for to providers of therapy for, you know, kids with disabilities. What is the entire flap over and, and what is the latest news as of this morning?
2: Sure. So I think part of the reason why... Um, this has become such a flashpoint is it's my understanding that at least for therapy providers this may be the largest single medicaid cut that they have ever received or certainly um in the last several years um it you know for for a lot of providers we're talking about a cut of maybe 20 25% of their revenue that they're being paid um and this from was, medicaid these are cuts
3: that are that the legislature put in place or they are
2: so like so, so there was a budget rider, rider 50, um, which directs pretty clearly, um, you know, it depends on how you're telling it, but about 100 million um, in state revenue cut from uh, therapy providers pay uh, over two years, combined with some other cuts. And and the federal funds that you lose from that, it's about 350 million over two years. Um, but the rider is... Uh, strangely worded, I think. It it specifically mentions, um, you know, hey, we want you to cut this specific amount of money, but we also want you to consider access to care. Um,
3: Meaning, like, if this could affect kids, we want you to keep that in mind before you pull the trigger?
2: Well, uh, I think uh, that's really at issue, and I think that's why we're sitting in so court did right did now. Did the legislature give itself plausible deniability here. If this went off the rails, they could say, hey, this wasn't, a, do. this wasn't <laughs> our decision. I mean, I think that is, um, yeah, I think that's one way that a lot of people are looking at this. Because honestly,
0: is... this this has become like a flaming bag of shit on the front step of Texas politics, and nobody wants to own it. Yeah. What's been so... amazing is how much finger-pointing has been going on. Well, we don't want to own
2: this. Well, the governor's office, said, well, this is on the legislature to decide. Well, somebody did this. This didn't happen under cover of darkness. Right. Well, so part of the reason why I think it didn't flash up as much as it might have during the session is, um, so when the House and the Senate budget committees sat down together and hashed out their compromise, that is when these cuts sort of appeared. Um, providers have been really upset because they said, hey, you never gave us a public hearing. You just sort of snuck these in. And then the budget. People, when they voted on
0: the but, did people know that the were in there when they voted on the budget? Um, people who were not involved with the conference They committee?
3: probably sort of knew, but also didn't think it would be this big of a deal. I mean, I don't know. You're seeing, like, mixed messages on that.
2: Yeah, I. you know, I don't know how to answer that question. I don't want to say that the budget writers didn't read the budget and they had no idea, but certainly um, I will say people started making a big deal about because here, it.
0: Because here's yeah. the thing. There were a lot of members on both sides, Republicans and Democrats, who voted for the budget. hmm who have come to Jesus on this question on Twitter in the last two weeks mm. and who are, tw- this is terrible for my district, this is bad for kids. Well, you voted on the budget.
3: Right, but, you know, budget writers are sneaky things, right? I mean, they well, that's happen, why I'm asking yeah, if they, they knew. Yeah, they happen often in conference committee. These things get hashed out at the very end. You know, you ki- legislators basically, they don't all sit down and read the entire budget start to finish before in those sort of waning hours before they end up signing off on it. And so then you have a situation like you have right now where where parents freak out you know, understandably when they worry that they're about to lose the cuts they need for disabled kids. And then they go to their lawmakers. And so obviously, there's a lot of outrage. But there was a there was a court decision uh, yesterday, correct, Edgar?
2: Yes. So there was a really sort of preliminary um, court decision. So so providers and and families of children with disabilities um, who are getting these services, and I just want to make clear, these services are, are, I mean, it's therapy, but it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, You know, it's you know they say it's medically necessary therapy. It's often things like teaching a severely premature baby who's had a tracheotomy, like how to speak again, how to actually nurse. Um, uh, So. Uh, these cuts were scheduled to take effect first, September 1st, and that got delayed, then it was October 1st, um, and uh, these families and some of the providers sued. And, they, and basically, at, at this entry-level stage, the judge said, okay, I'm not making a, a facts-based decision, but I am going to put a temporary hold on this. You can't implement the cuts on October 1st. So it was... A victory for these, for for the families and for the providers. But but, temporary. But temporary. And uh, it's going to be appealed very quickly. It'll be before sort of appeals judges. um.
3: Meanwhile, my favorite part of this is the finger pointing that's gone on between the state agency and, and weirdly, Texas A&M University. So, uh, you know, it sounds to me like the state was asked in court, you know, did you all study the effect these cuts were going to have? And what did the state say?
2: so the people suing the state presented some evidence um from within hhsc uh from from a from a meeting that hhsc staff members had um, at which point it became clear that um, this whole access to care question has been tricky for them and in fact um so one hhsc employee testified that that at HHSC, they were said never to to tell anyone that they were sure that it wouldn't cause an access to care question. Yikes. And then so one of the more surprising points of evidence was um, in a meeting, somebody, although it's unclear who at HHSC, said, well, hey, we paid Texas A&M to study this access to care question, but, you know, they, they never delivered. Texas A&M was not happy about that, and they put out <laughs> Clearly. A, a statement that said, um, we don't know what you're talking about, but you never asked us to study this access to care question. Don't
3: you throw us under the bus. <laughs> yeah. there, there
2: has been so much finger pointing um, because I think these are, um, I mean, they're they are pretty unpopular cuts, I think it's, it's fair Obviously, to
3: say. Obviously at this point, yeah. <laughs> um,
2: and so, but there are so many layers to this because when the cuts were first being made, a lot of uh, the lawmakers, um, you know, who, who proposed them, I think, uh, Uh, Greg Bonin had the sort of the original writer. Um, They were pointing to this research um, that was supposedly done by AM that said that was, you know, that had pointed out that actually Texas, compared to other states, pays a lot higher for these services than other states, which is crazy because Texas, in just about every field, has one of the stingiest Medicaid programs in the state. Um, But AM has you know over time it's become clear that sort of a maybe was was paid to do I think the original sort of data analysis but but actually the people who sort of packaged that analysis and put it into writing and sort of drew inferences from what should be done um, was actually HHSC mm-hmm. um, so I think you've seen some distancing there you've seen lawmakers sort of distancing themselves using this ambiguous language about access to care to say yeah we wanted cuts but Hey, we told you, you know, don't don't affect access right. to care. And this
3: is like a perfect example of the legislature doing something. You know, HHSC is getting painted as the bad guy, but HHSC, you know, has no choice but to but to execute on you know the legislature's wishes in a budget rider. Yeah,
2: I, they say, hey, we're just following orders, and like it or not, <laughs> this order to cut you know, $350 million over two years is not a suggestion. This right. Is, this was
3: an order. This is law. Right. I wonder, I mean, it, you know, it doesn't sound like there could be any special session to sort of try to resolve this, but how this kind of thing, you know, could they just put it on hold and say, we'll handle this in the next legislative session? Or
2: mm, Well, so I think a special session is out, at least for now. Um, uh, Governor Abbott has uh, very much, I would say, also distanced himself from this. He, he, you know, his office finally put out a statement on it um, last week that said, hey, the legislature did this, and it's up to the legislature and HHSC to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Um, as for how long it can be delayed, you know, I'm a little skeptical of that, too. There was, you know, this term at the U.S. Supreme Court, there was a, a, a fairly big case in the in the healthcare world, which didn't get a ton of play, but um, some of the conservative justices on the court ruled uh, five to four that, Private providers cannot sue their state Medicaid agencies over rates. Huh. Um,
3: In this case, it's the families suing. Or,
2: well, it's families and providers. Oh, um, and you know, I've heard sort of mixed arguments about how much that ruling can apply here. But I think um, I think it's going to be an uphill battle for these uh, providers and these families to make their case strictly through the court system. Mm-hmm. Great.
3: All right, well, uh, let's turn to a Rolling Stone article from... I thought
2: we were going to talk about the Pope.
3: Oh, we, we, we'll still have time to talk about the Pope. <laughs> okay. Well, Wendy Davis or the Pope first, your choice. Let's start with Wendy Davis, uh, who some compare to the Pope. <laughs> there was a big blowout at uh, Rolling Stone interview who, this week. Who
0: compared <laughs> Wendy Davis to the Pope?
3: Well, you know, she, she is really sort <clears throat> of heralded Both by... Both believe in climate change. Right.
2: Other things that they have in common. Um... She she wore shoes. Doesn't the Pope do something about washing feet? <laughs> okay, I like that. That's good. Good, good so,
3: stretch. Yeah. Really?
2: <laughs> really? That's, that's the best you can do?
0: Shorty? Right. Good.
3: Uh, okay. All right, so <clears throat> let's talk about what was in this, in said interview with Rolling Stone, which I like that they noted, you know, in a sit-down interview from her hotel in Manhattan. The, the worldly <laughs> Wendy Davis, yes, is leaving texts behind to do what? Did anyone read it?
1: I mean, she was on a bit of a media tour this week. Um, The Rolling Stone interview was part of it. Uh, She talked with Rolling Stone about... What is she
0: promoting exactly on
1: this media tour? I don't quite know. Women's Um,
3: issue? I mean, it's unclear to me. It seemed like she said she was going to start some women's Yeah, this women's women's
1: rights initiative that she's been talking about now for, I think, several months. She was on Bill Maher a couple weeks ago, second Bill Maher reference of the podcast. That's that's true.
0: Uh, So she's presumably kind of just out in circulation again.
1: It sounds like it. I mean, she didn't really come to to the Rolling Stone interview bearing any real news. Um, She said she hopes to run for office again. I think we all assume that in some some way or another.
0: I I didn't. (laughs) You didn't? No.
1: I just... I just don't... I didn't assume it. I mean, I don't know that she won't, but I don't
0: necessarily go, well, after how well it went sure. last time, there's an obvious path to her to get a nomination yeah. somewhere. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, what? she said
1: she doesn't have a specific office in her site. I mean, she's certainly yeah.
0: welcome to run again, but it just... I, I mean, I didn't take that as an article of faith that she was going to run again after what happened last time. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I was just going to ask,
0: what office? Yeah, I mean, right. I mean, I yeah. think that's
3: the big question, you know. And would she run for office in, in Texas, Right. Right. Well, that's
0: a mean Twitter, which, of course, is the best Twitter. Uh, mean Twitter's response to this was, in what state? Mm -hmm. where is she going to run because she's in New York in a Manhattan hotel yeah
3: (laughs) well worked for Hillary Hillary Clinton (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, did we learn anything else from what is the significance of the fact that this was in Rolling Stone versus in, you know, a Texas publication? Or, I mean, is this her making a national play? Is this her saying, you know, don't forget me, keep me in the limelight here? What's what do we well, it, it, pro- it
0: probably followed in pagination, you know, an interview with two chains. I mean, this is not exactly <laughs> like the New Republic. You know, the fact that she's in Rolling Stone, Wendy Davis, let, let me say this, Wendy Davis became a cultural figure as a consequence of the filibuster and the campaign. She she ascended from being a mere political candidate, so it's not entirely surprising that the one-time Bible of culture would view her as worthy of a,
1: an interview. Sure, I mean, and then the national press, especially the magazine press, probably has a sunnier view of her legacy in the gubernatorial race than a lot of reporters in Texas do. So, I mean, it was probably sympathetic venue, I'd say.
0: Remember when Ann Richards was governor, we taught what all of you were like in – grade school. But um, we talked about, and Edgar may not have been living, we talked about a quote Ann Richards problem. And Ann Richards problem was for a politician in Texas when you're more popular outside of Texas than you are in. The comparisons to Ann Richards over the course of the campaign are probably apt in this case also. Wendy Davis's approval rating outside of Texas is probably higher, unfair to her as that may be, probably higher outside of Texas than in right so mm-hmm. it's it's you know this is what you do you, you the, the political environment in texas is such that notwithstanding her poor performance in the campaign it is hard for any de- democrat of any sort to get traction full stop mm-hmm. and so it's just not i don't think it's a, a big shocker that she might be outside of the state making noise yeah. more than she'd be able to make inside
3: what did you think about her being compared to tammy taylor coach taylor's wife from friday night lights did you even watch I Friday Night, think night lights? that's dumb <laughs> She said she she loves that comparison because she likes it when women can be both strong and feminine and sexy. I think sexy got dropped in there somewhere. Oh,
0: whatever. <laughs> Connie Britton might get elected governor first. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Come on, what do you think?
3: I mean, I don't just, hide
0: behind that microphone, chief. Uh, sure. Well, I boss. I, I,
3: all right, I think it was a, a very sort of strange and like you know, new, a Rolling Stone type thing to drop into this. Have you heard her compared to Tammy Taylor ever once in Texas? Has that ever crossed anyone's lips that you've heard? Well,
0: dumb shit cultural references are the provenance of Rolling. I mean, the, that's Rolling Stones' hallmark. I mean, so uh, so what? All right,
3: the
2: magazine. Isn't Buzz Bissinger sometimes a? Doesn't he write for Rolling Stone sometimes? He might. His little
0: Friday night lights. Yeah, no connection well yep.
2: done speaking yep. of random connections actually ann richard's son was the lawyer suing the state in the medicaid case just oh. thought oh, oh. Oh, i really
0: like that it. i saw what you did there that bringing was bringing it all back together back.
3: all right evan wants to talk about the pope
0: so i don't really <laughs> i'm just noticing that a whole bunch of texas <laughs> legislators are tweeting pictures of themselves uh, at the white house
3: are they so are they getting all right so who's not just members about, of they? congress right. Duh. on that be, right but i'm talking about like
0: of jessica ferrar armando wally rafael Anchia. Cesar Blanco. I think what you have is a lot of very proud Catholic uh, Texans who happened to be in legislature who had the opportunity because of their connections to this White House and this administration and these members of Congress. They got to go and they brought with them family members or others who are similarly enthused as they sh- should be about meeting the Pope. I just think it's interesting.
3: All right. Well. Good work.
0: <laughs> good talk. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I mean, yeah. I think that's. I think the, the Pope is a thing. I mean, the Pope comes to this country. It's a moment, and it's. Well, a, and I think it's great that there can be an opportunity for people to, to feel good about their faith and the
2: opportunity to meet the Pope. It's like uh,
3: black market for tickets to meet the Pope.
2: Well, I wonder. I hadn't. I haven't seen anything written on this, but has anybody talked to Greg Abbott yet about the Pope's visit? Because I mean, he has made his Catholic faith. You know,
0: and he disagrees openly. In and fact, he may mm-hmm. have tweeted at one he, point, or I
1: hallucinated yeah, he it. he tweeted uh, about 10:30 last night. A Texas-sized welcome to the Pope. That's what I've, the latest I've heard from him.
0: If you ask me, who was the one person certain to have been on Twitter at 10:30 last night? <laughs> Greg, Abbott? Right, this Greg right, Abbott. This guy <laughs> right, right here. This
3: guy If it was one a.m., it might be Greg Abbott. <laughs> this guy right <laughs> here. And Trump. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. Yeah.
0: Did you watch <laughs> Trump on Colbert last night?
1: I did. He was very oh, low energy. I thought it was awful.
0: <laughs> I thought as much as the Cruz interview was interesting, I thought the Trump interview was terrible.
1: You know, Colbert's questioning wasn't nearly as tough. I mean, it was you know, it wasn't like you know, Cruz got put through the meat grinder, but you know, I think Trump or uh, Colbert gave Trump a bit of a pass. I definitely thought that.
3: Yeah. Uh, all right, so what is the latest? Just in our last few minutes here on the on shutdown watch, 2015. You know, are we is Cruz still moving in that direction? What's the latest on any talk in Washington over whether we're uh, whether we're going to suddenly lose the entire congressional sure. delegation for Tribfest?
1: Well, we're getting close. I think October first is the deadline. I think there um. is no chance, <laughs> zero chances that, that there will, that we will
0: have uh, lose members of Congress.
1: Zero.
3: Evan is a hopeful man. Zero.
1: <laughs> a- Abby's closer to this than I am, but I, I would I would I say think
3: she <laughs> would say it's not a zero percent chance. Um, yeah.
1: I but,
0: thought Ke- I thought Kelly Ayotte didn't she kind of put a cold blanket on the whole thing by. Sure. Oh, yeah, her letter. Yeah. Strongly came out yesterday against attaching uh, uh, the Planned Parenthood.
1: Yeah, I mean, she basically sent a, a, to a symbolic letter down. to Cruz saying, two-page two letters saying, you say you want to go with this strategy that could shut down the government to explain to me how it could ultimately work. What is the end game here besides just, you know, shutting down the government and sending this message that you, you know, stand so strongly against Planned Parenthood. Um, it doesn't seem like, you know, Cruz's strategy – um, if you focus on what he wants to accomplish, is, is picking up all that much momentum. I know on Tuesday, I believe, he was speaking to reporters in Washington and was pressed time and time again about how many lawmakers have you know endorsed his approach. He circulated a letter trying to get signatures uh, of, of lawmakers who you know basically co sign, you know, this is a strategy we want toward Planned Parenthood. And he, I don't think he has produced an answer yet about how many people have signed on to that. Um, there's been reporting on how even some of the people who've been with Cruz in the past, like people like Mike Lee, um, are not as um, adamant this time about this this approach. Um, but his rhetoric hasn't changed on it. And, I mean, I think there's going to be – I'm sure there will be some fireworks.
0: And he wants – honestly, this is a fight he wants.
1: Absolutely. I, I think yeah. for two
0: reasons. First thing is I think he believes what he's saying. He thinks that Planned Parenthood should be defunded. This is not an act. He believes it. Second thing is, from a political standpoint, if he's lined up against Mitch McConnell and Kelly Ayotte, Mm -hmm. he wins. Well, it also gives him a stage to himself. He'd
1: he'd love to be as politically isolated as as possible in Congress. That's what he wants. I mean, even if Mike Lee's not by his side, even if he's the loneliest man up there, um, I think that's exactly what he wants. I mean, that reinforces his whole campaign message.
3: All right. Well, if you would like to be compared to a Friday Night Lights character, you can email us at tribcast at Uh, texastribune.org. I actually haven't seen it. Friday Night Lights. Yeah.
0: This is a, this is an oh issue God. in my marriage right now. She really, but Julia is like really into it, and I, I'm like all about Orphan Black.
2: The book's pretty good book's
0: great. I you read the watch book. Friday Night I
1: haven't seen Friday Night Live. I have not either. seen the television Oh, my God, show. you
3: people, you don't even get to be Texans.
1: I don't even know if I'm Texans.
3: <laughs> hey, Pittsburgh. <laughs> hey, Willie Stargell. To be clear, I'm not from Pittsburgh. But anyway, glad we know each other so well. <laughs> Wait, isn't she from Pittsburgh? <laughs> no, my parents happen to live there. Oh, sorry. Uh, we'd also love to invite you to the fifth annual okay, Texas Virginia. Tribune <laughs> Festival, where hopefully there will be a few members of Congress.
0: And people from Pittsburgh.
3: October 16th through 18th on the UT Austin campus. Uh, Registration is now open at texastribune.org slash festival. If you sign up, you can come see the Tribcast live in person on Friday night. So you should be Fe- featuring. Featuring Emily Ramshaw, Ross Ramsey, uh, State Senator Connie Burton, uh, State Representative Poncho Navarez. Connie Burton
0: still doing the Tribcast?
3: As far as I know, she hasn't right? told me otherwise. Okay, just making sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. There will be... well, the,
0: is the Tribcast sponsored Connie, you're by you're the listening. General Land Office? <laughs>
3: I don't know. You handle the financial side of this operation. Okay, I'll get back to him. (laughs) Anyway, some other great folks, including Austin Police Chief Art Acevedo.
0: Oh, yeah, he's excited about this. He's pumped. Yeah, he is. All
3: right, we'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Evan, Patrick, Edgar, and our producer, Jacob, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas
1: Texas talking. Texas talking.
3: Maybe Edgar yeah. needs a car. Well, you have a car. You just like Are to. Are you still your
0: taking nice the, the the it. pedicab to work or whatever <laughs> it is you do?
2: Is that what you a, do in your off hours? A personal pedicab.